0: Now, why do we say love is a garden? Well, after all, the whole love story of the human race began in the garden. Their love was at its peak, and then it went into decline. And then finally, love was reaffirmed again in the garden. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Unadulterated Theology, a Christian philosophical perspective on issues related to sex, sex work, pornography, the adult entertainment industry, and subjects of the like. Today's episode is going to concern social media apps, but more specifically, that of Tinder. There are other social media dating apps which function in a similar sort of way, Bumble and Hinge are popular examples, however I don't want to speak so broadly on whether it is Christian or unchristian to participate in these apps. And so I should mention here early that if there are those couples or individuals listening, believe it or not, who have seen successful, healthy relationships emerge from their use of the app, whether it be of themselves or seen through another, then I wish them all the best. And of course, I don't have any interest in intruding on your or their circumstances. And I think that's really another thing you'll find about this podcast is that I'm not really interested in finding all Or excuse me, I should say, I am interested in finding arguments for a position, no matter how bizarre, absurd, or ridiculous the original question may be. Hence, I don't so much have an interest in telling you what to do, let alone what to think. And moreover, how little will you ever hear me, uh, or see me, I guess, employ that what-would-Jesus-do sort of logic. And so, of course, far be it from this podcast, and especially from this episode. But with that said, however... This is still a Christian Philosophy of Religion podcast, and hence, no surprise should be accounted for on the listener's part if they happen to hear a view which concerns the primacy and lordship of Jesus Christ in all things. Therefore, to move along here, from those opening words, today's episode will concern Tinder and whether we can examine some philosophical arguments for or against it. As for my part, I'm simply going to travel through Tinder as to what it is, what the content entails, and then look at some objections for participating in it that perhaps you've maybe never heard before. Again, this isn't to rain on any parades about Tinder, but just that if you're considering opening up to the online dating world, Tinder should really be a non-option for you. Now, of course, don't think from this that I'll be saying anything particularly new, nor especially will I really be saying anything that I've come up with on my own. These arguments are not really mine, and hence they stem further back into philosophical traditions and philosophic literature that concerns truths about the human person which I think are perennial and don't merely concern our present particular circumstance. So, to go ahead and get started with it, just last year, I started up what I called the Aponosis Project, which was a philosophical project, if I can call it that, that tried to critically analyze resources, materials, and media that were, what I thought, indicative of a bad philosophy of the human person, or sexuality, of love, and so on. Now, the purpose of this project was to provide what I think are some much-needed mopping up of some bad philosophical muck that permeates much more broader platforms of culture. So not just porn, but television shows, podcasts, blogs, and what brings me here today, Tinder. Of course, besides these variations, the project more precisely had an aim against pornography. However, if the broader philosophical project is to mop up the effects of a bad porn culture, if such a thing does exist, analogously then, the critique here of Tinder is equivalent to wiping off the dirt off one's pants. Both, after all, are intended to pursue cleanliness, or in spiritual terms, holiness. But let's start with the more basic question, which is what is Tinder? Well, Tinder, in a statement, is a mobile dating app that is different from a dating website. There is no web address to which users may refer. Hence, all the activities of the app are contained exclusively therein. Now, the app asks users to provide limited, minim, uh, minimal personal information about themselves for potential matches, along with a brief selection of preferred photos attached by the user. And that's basically all Tinder is. You create an account, providing some photos of yourself, and thereby make yourself eligible by swiping to the left of someone's picture, which means not interested, or swiping to the right of someone's picture, which means interested. Now, there's actually a really interesting paper that I found on the conditions of Tinder's environment by Janelle Ward in her 2016 essay, What Are You Doing on Tinder? That's what it's called. She identified three conditions regarding Tinder's environment. First, reduced cues and increased control in profile construction. The second is local proximity of matches. And the third is a minimal filtering process. Now, regarding that first condition, reduced cues and increased control in profile construction, Ward writes, quote, Communication is asynchronous and it cannot rely on nonverbal communication cues which are harder for individuals to control. That is, in the dynamism that exists with person-to-person communication, there are limited conditions to which we could best express our own self-presentation. However, given that Tinder constructs a form of communication that isn't dynamic, but static, we are better able to have increased control over self-presentation and our own image through the arrangement of whatever minimal information that we want to provide about ourselves. Well, interestingly enough, some studies have found that users do feel obliged to anchor their online identity in their offline embodied self. Hence, ample studies are being done in this area regarding users providing the conditions of their self-image or self-presentation to garner vindication, desirability, and authentication. Now, all of this alone entails some exciting philosophical questions. And since we've only spoken rather matter of factly about what Tinder is, there is a sense in which I want to move more significantly towards being honest about Tinder. And again, if honesty should sound a term that's too harsh uh, or maybe all too typical from coming from a Christian philosophy podcast, then perhaps we could do better to say thoughtful. In other words, I'm personally convinced that if one is to participate sustainably or regularly on these apps, of course, referring specifically here to Tender, then there's a kind of thoughtlessness that needs to come along with it. This thoughtlessness is on the grounds that you don't enter the playground with any prior expectations in mind, that you don't take this or yourself too seriously. The rejection that you do face on the app air quotes behind rejection for the most part it's hidden from you anyway you don't know who swipes away from you therefore given that the sort of non-verbal communication that tinder and other outlets inherently utilizes is not for the fostering of comprehensive fully personable relationships tinder is one platform among many that allows for the human person to imaginatively construct themselves and this may seem like a strange way of speaking but if you peer deeper into my words, you'll see that this seems to always be the case. The app presents you with either one, of, one or two choices, yes or no. And you can purchase, of course, boosts and other downloadable content on the app to help you get noticed. You can get more likes, um, or you can look at your likes, excuse me, you can uh, get more matches that way. But however, the app really only presents the user with each of their desired sex, and with it, these sort of anxiety-ridden either-or Will you have them, or will you not? And so from here, I think it'd be helpful to explain these points uh, with some philosophical arguments armed against tender. The first is that tender plays on the sensuous either-or of erotic immediacy. So, Soren Kierkegaard, in his 1841 book, Either-Or, Part 1, he spoke of either-or as being the primal philosophy of life, really of freedom, or unfreedom, really, of those individuals who are bound by... An existence preoccupied with erotic immediacy. In other words, this individual loses themselves in dizziness or anxiety through the infinite possibilities that existence presents themselves with. Does he love me? Does he not love me? Does he love me? Does he love me not? And so forth. These individuals are like the double-faced Roman god, Janus, looking back and forth in both contradictory directions. They find themselves not knowing whether they are really stuck in the past or the future, whether their life is really a tragedy or a comedy. And it's interesting then that the swipe left or swipe right options reflect this similar philosophy of life. So in other words, explain to the words of Soren Kierkegaard, in approaching Tinder, perhaps in approaching your life generally, you clothe yourself in possibility, which means from here that you remain in longing in desire, in yearning for that great something. To you, life situations and circumstances constantly present a bombardment of choices to you. Kierkegaard writes in his book, if you marry, you will regret it. If you do not marry, you will also regret it. If you marry or do not marry, you'll regret both. Whether you marry or do not marry, you will regret both. Laugh at the world's follies, you will regret it. Weep over them, you'll also regret that. Laugh at the world's follies or weep over them, you will regret both. Whether you love at the world's follies, or excuse me, whether you laugh at the world's follies or weep over them, you will regret both. Believe a woman, you will regret it. Believe her not, you will also regret that. Believe a woman or believe her not, you will regret both. Whether you believe a woman or believe her not, you will regret both. Hang yourself, you will regret it. Do not hang yourself and you will also regret that. This gentleman is the sum and substance of all philosophy, writes Kierkegaard in his Either or. In other words, by dressing yourself up in the possibility, or the finitude of possibility, I should say, your life really becomes a nothing. Because these externalities of choices, do I do this, do I do that, are what have shaped the internal, or the internalities, namely yourself. However, insofar as your life is not synonymous with your moral habits, that is to say, as long as you have the freedom to do otherwise, these externalities really appear as a nothing. That is, the more more contrasted that, that these habits become with God. And so, let me stop here and move on to the next argument to perhaps elucidate some points, which is, tender is reductionistic towards persons. That is to say, tender denies the unique and mysterious reality of the human person which to be clear, a person means one who is alive and has a soul. The compartmentalization of persons that takes place under dating apps like Tinder, Bumble, and others does not allow for the full integration of the human personality to reveal itself to other individuals. Tinder, I think it can be agreed, can be a segue to the possibility of such a relation, but Tinder itself is not conducive to these kinds of relations. Now, this is furthermore based on observation that Tinder seeks to rely on self-presentation, but nonetheless still denies the fullness of human personality. That is to say, since the user is immersed in not only a technological, but as well as imaginative construction of the self, Tinder is not a conducive environment for the conjugal marital, let alone romantic, unition of persons. Now, when I say that a user of Tinder is imaginatively constructing themselves, what do I mean by that? Well, there's a large extent to which I think all of us do this, but not in some kind of a Freudian sense where the delusions of childhood are transferred into the psychoses and neuroses of adulthood. I mean, more so in the Kierkegaardian sense that oftentimes we human beings can find ourselves in situations where our authentic personality is made negative or it is contradicted. And this isn't a logical contradiction, but a existential contradiction. Now, what does that mean? Well, think of anxiety. Anxiety, on one view, could be conceived of one of the various ways in which our experience presents itself with various existential contradictions to our own personality. For example, some of us might conceive of our various anxieties about the world or ourselves as, as a sort of foreign or an alien power. Others might more significantly see their anxiety as a kind of nothing, where their feeling such and such way is not due to some definite object which is not the case in fear, which does have a definite object. But in either circumstance, the anxiety occurs precisely because the human personality finds themselves in situations wherein their physical body will want to resort to mechanisms of defense. Oftentimes, then, our anxieties can bring us into situations that we didn't really choose to be in. And this is all too indicative of, um, or really all too felt, by the guilt-ridden individual who can't seem to shake off their porn habit, and yet they proceed to run back to it rather faithfully. Anxiety, then, seems to have this very feature of sympathy and antipathy, of being propelled and repulsed by the same thing. That's always been very interesting to me. Now, these sort of situations we can call existential contradictions. However, these mostly occur whenever the individual personality is immersed into an existential context for which they were never meant to be placed in the first place. Yet, just because these existential contradictions take place, that doesn't mean that the individual is all the while conscious of them. This could lead us into a conversation of Kierkegaard's differentiation between conscious and unconscious despair, but I'll leave that for another episode. But the question I think I want to ask here is, how do existential contradictions and imaginative constructions relate to one another? Well, it's important to remember that not all individuals are particularly aware or conscious of their own existential situation. What Kierkegaard would have said, they're not conscious of their own despair. Now, since this is the case, the less awareness one has towards their own existential situation, the more this will carry over into imaginative constructions, in poeticized fictions, in really fantasy. And this is what I mean when I say that the human personality becomes negative because the use of tender or the individual in this instance is setting themselves before possibilities which does not construct them as they essentially are before the other. Now, since this gap of the negative exists between I and the other, I must fill this abyss with the various possibilities of finitude the kind of pictures I take, the filter I use, the pose I take, the sort of biography I construct, and especially my manner of speaking um, becomes negative. Or what Kierkegaard would have succinctly just said, ironic. Now, what does irony have to do with this whole activity? Well, remember that for Kierkegaard, irony and negative are really similar concepts, which is Kierkegaard's way of seeing Socratic irony being implicitly linked to Hegel's concept of negation. So, All this means is that irony irony, is not necessarily a manner of speaking, namely that one's meaning is intended differently from one's words, but rather that irony is more of a way of life or a life view, if you will. The ironic individual lives the meaning of their lives differently than how it is actually being lived. Hence, this is why I say that individuals often find themselves in existential contradictions because it's not so much a contradiction of words or concepts, but of living, of existence, so then, Tinder, like pornography and other outlets for sexual enjoyment, erotic enjoyment, uh, erotic immediacy, as, as, as I said before, are, in my view, a part of this deepening enterprise of loosening or abandoning self-consciousness, thereby becoming negative. And by losing self-consciousness, I just mean losing a sense of self, most importantly, really a sense of individuality before God. Now, modern terms would designate us to think of these kinds of individuals as secularists or even pagans. But I've always rather liked Kierkegaard's description of a spiritless individual, which is close to but not quite paganism. So uh, a spiritless individual, simply stated, is different from a pagan because ancient pagans, Kierkegaard typically referred to the Greeks, were without a concept of spirit. Man is nonetheless spirit despite this lack of a concept. However, what this means is that a spiritless individual hasn't integrated themselves fully as a self before God. Now this lack of integration can showcase itself uniquely in a number of spiritual, physical, and even physiolog- or excuse me, psychological sort of ways. That is to say, the individual's failure to come to recognize themselves as a self is what I think is really at the base, or at least should be, of most conversations between pornography. And Christianity. Now, of course, Tinder is not necessarily associated with the pornographic, insofar as the content on Tinder is not necessarily or inherently pornographic. That's true. But nonetheless, there are residual fosterings of the human personality being made negative, not allowing itself to be fully integrated, as it is, accordingly, before God. So then, to finish here with something of a harsh summary, if I will, or if I can, towards Tinder... Tinder is one consequence among many regarding the McDonaldization of a sexually exploitive culture. Whereas pornography has systematically hijacked the meaningful and beautiful reality of human sexuality, Tinder is equivalent to the small bank robberies that take place in honor of its name. Tinder is regulative voyeurism for the carnally curious. It is technological window shopping for the ontological reductionist and it is a systematized arrangement of erotic selectability for the pervert. I will not argue for the view that we shouldn't condone the use of Tinder, or social media dating apps in general. I will, however, conversely argue that it contains such a, vacu- uh, such a vacuousness of vanity that Christian spirituality should and ought not to have anything to do with it whatsoever. I'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode because I wanted to keep those thoughts rather brief and maybe I'll have some more episodes in the future touching on these similar kinds of issues. But as I always say at the end of these podcast, lectures, videos, and etc., thank you so much for retaining the time and the attention to make it to the end uh, of today's episode. God bless you. May God keep you. And if you haven't already, please be sure to follow the podcast and the page wherever else I have it available, which is on Facebook, WordPress, YouTube, Instagram, and some other places as well that I'm probably forgetting about. Uh, forgetting about. So be sure to check out as well the Hellenistic Christendom podcast. That's available on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are available. So again, I'll just finish there because I don't mean to over-promote, but God bless you. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day or night. <laughs>